This is Purple Radio On Demand. Welcome back to Murder's for Backpage, where this week's Sergeant Shaker Fact Drop for the final part of the Triple Crown this year, as well as a first time winner in the NASCAR Cup Series all the way in the West Coast, with a lot more good racing in between. I'm your show host Ryan Shea as always, and let's jump right in. So, final episode of the entire school year. I know you guys might have been expecting more given how Murder's works, it's usually a lot more intense in the summer and a lot less intense in the winter, but given it's the end of my school year and I'm going to be leaving next week, it's just going to be in session that this is my final episode and at least we went out with concluding with the final part of Triple Crown so I will come to it later. I will be recapping the race in the order that the Checker Black drops. So we start off with the Azerbaijan Grand Prix for Formula 1 where we saw qualifying with a impressive incident with Lance Stroll crashing into the barriers in Q1 twice bringing out the red flag that he locked up in a earlier corner losing part of his car having damage locked up and whatever and then before completely leaving his front wing causing a lot of debris and causing a red flag for the end of the Q1 session and then his teammate was in a wall at Q2 which might have suggested that it wasn't a private issue but rather a car issue with the Aston Martin so that happened but Vettel still managed to make Q3 and Vettel well I guess it was just impressive all weekend along with his driving skills and his adaptation to the car finishing with a good result that I'll come later but in the end it was Charles Leclerc who takes another pole position for Ferrari with Sergio Perez lining up alongside with him on the front row. Max Verstappen and Carlos Sainz takes the second row as always with how strong the Red Bull and Ferrari has been. Uh, George Russell and Pierre Gasly takes out row 3, Hamilton and Tuna takes out row 4 and Vettel and Alonso finishing P9 and P10 respectively in Q3. So very impressed from Vettel as I mentioned. But at the start of the race, Sergio Perez beats out Leclerc for the lead at turn one after the data driver has locked up early, which costs not only the lead, but also a chance for a win given that it's still a street second despite its chance for overtakes. It's not easy to get close or whatever given the A4 nature. It's a lot easier to hold wheel-to-wheel battles, but the actual overtakes and actual strategy stuff are still pretty hard. So some people don't like it as much because the new regulation was supposed to improve racing and that hasn't been the case. So... I guess we will see, but it wasn't until a few months later that Carlos Sainz in the Ferrari has suffered a hydraulic failure and bring out a virtual safety car, which Leclerc decides to gamble on pinning for the hard and hoping that he'd make it to the end of the race. But he didn't eventually because he also suffered an engine blowout later down the race. But before then, Vettel had a spin after a lock-up trying to overtake before an amazing 180 turn out of nowhere and just went on his merry way which is a very amazing recovery. You don't see that very often. It's usually a three-point turn that can easily lose you about 15, 20 seconds. But Vettel just decided to, okay, I'll spin round and I'll just continue my merry way and just lose the minimal amount of time. He still lost a few places, but it was a very impressive move. Uh, Verstappen takes the lead from Perez not long after, um, given that Verstappen was generally more quick driver and maybe Red Bull was just trying to put them ahead. I couldn't recall the exact details, but Verstappen took the lead eventually. And then we came to Leclerc engine blowout, and that is Ferrari's double DNF, which is unfortunate. And it really creates a contrast between at the start of the season, Leclerc joking about engine fail- engine issues and whatever, un- until Ferrari shows that they were actually the more unreliable team. 
I guess if they manage to get themselves together right now, they might still take some championship. But at this, at where it stands right now, Red Bull might have the upper hand. Um, later down in the race, Yuki Tsunoda has his DRS broken and had to come to the pits with the black and orange flag. And the pit crew, that because they didn't have the time to change the rear wing, decided to give a very botched up solution by sticking on parts of the rear wing with some duct tape, which. Again, it's a more commonly seen strategy in things like NASCAR or whatnot, but if it works in F1 occasionally, then that's what they have to do, and that's what happened. Uh, and Max Verstappen takes the win ahead of Sergio Perez, which it's just another Red Bull one too. We've seen that quite a few times this season so far already. And Red Bull takes their sixth win out of eight races so far. Um, Mercedes takes a 3-4, George Russell with another podium, which... He's been continuing his top five streak and just become the most consistent driver on the grid at the moment. Gasly, Vettel, Alonso, Ricardo, and Norris and Ocon rounds out your top ten with the point scoring. Red Bulls one two means that they take the wheel at the driver championship and a eighty point lead in the constructor championship. Which, if Ferrari wants to even have a chance of taking a single crown, they will have to work really hard from here on. But that is all I have to say for the race because it wasn't anywhere impressive. It's just a typical back of Grand Prix. There wasn't any chaos or whatever. There was two brief virtual safety car periods, but there wasn't any major incidents that granted me to talk any deeper. Um, so we shall move on to the north of France where Le Mans took place, the 24 hours of Le Mans, the crown jewel of crown jewels. Um, before the actual race happened, there was a few extra news that I would like to recap before, well, I was... Last week, I was saying that there would be a few sessions between the time I recorded the episode last week and the actual race where I will be informing you right now. So, during the one to port races, as in the Road to Le Mans, the hydrogen, well, hydrogen modified car made its debut and just took forever to refill, but showed decent speed. And it's just pretty cool to see the car being on track in general. And if you want to see other innovations regarding those or similar, just random not really prototypes or gt cars is just racing out on the track next year nascar has announced that they will be bringing a modified cup series car to le mans in the garage 56 entry so it's just going to be interesting to see how that goes but as is le mans innovations sometimes just prevails and shows us in the ingenious ways so we shall see what happens next year it will be very exciting i'm personally as a nascar watcher i really want to see how it will perform it will have insane straight line speed but according might be a bit of an issue so we will see how the team adapts to it and will there be any shenanigans we don't know because it hasn't raced on it yet but oh what's also announced is that there will only be gtem for 2023 and gt3 will be the main class of gt racing or gt endurance racing in WEC from 2024 onwards i don't know what the exact rules that will be happen because of GT3 being so prevalent in the entire world at the moment, being one of the cheaper forms of racing. So it's relatively easy to secure entry that might cost a unexpected influx. So I believe the ACO, which is the Committee for the World Endurance Championship, will have to find a way to limit the ways that manufacturers and or customer teams could enter the entries to prevent all these floodings and maybe less capable drivers from just Okay, let's enter Le Mans, let's go to done and proceed to bin it every single session, which actually happens to one of the drivers, namely being Felipe Simadomo in the number 13 TDS Racing LMP2 Pro Am entry, because he was crashing a bit too much in free practice sessions, 
the stewards have elected to eject him from the race session and the replacement that the TDS Racing found was Nick DeVries, who not only is a Mercedes Formula E driver, is also actually the Toyota Le Mans Hypercar Reserve driver. So if you don't know that, now you know. And he was brought into the TDS LMP2. Um, Nick DeVries usually races with a racing team that an entry when it is the case, but they're not here this time. So Nick DeVries just got caught up, put into seat, but that entry has altogether been scrapped away from the Per-Am subclass from the LMP2, which is a new class that they've been introducing for actually really young drivers or whatever from the proper pro drivers in the LMP2. So that happened before the actual race took place. Um, there was also a announcement about the new LMP2 regulations to come in 2025 with balance of performance like they do with the current hypercar regulations so it should bring in much more closer racing rather than just a oracle runaway as it has been for the last what three to four years since the new chassis have been introduced in 2017 where originally there was four different manufacturers but eventually just run down came out the fact that the oracles were just way too strong for anybody else to compete so eventually everybody switched oracles because they're around the same price if you can get more pawns then why not so that was it now, moving on to qualifying and hyperpole, it was the number eight of the Toyota who took pole in the hypercar class in with a three minute 24.408. The LMP2 pole was taken by the number 31 WRT with a three minute 28.394. The GTE Pro class was had a pole with the number 64 Corvette in a three minute 49.985 and GTE AM class has a number 61A of course a Ferrari with a three minute 52.594 at the wheel. So significantly slower than what was last year and a few years before because of the new regulations and whatnot because LMP1 cars used to be able to set three minute 17s on a single lap during race pace or even qualifying. So there has been regulations to just hold them back a bit, make it slightly safer, but if you know what they would used to be able to do, it's just somewhat of a shame that they're not setting those times anymore because of development issues and whatnot. So, you know, being slow, making cars slow is a much easier job than making cars fast. So that had to be the case. Um, and then come to the actual 24 hour race, the at the very start of it, lap one, turn one, the number 22 of the United Autosports LMP2 was made a few contact with the 31 pole set I mentioned previously with WRT and crashed and that means they were recovered from the gravel which funny enough a, the World Engineering Championship does not have if you're stuck in the gravel you are allowed to be pushed out and just continue on your way and like return to the pits or whatever so as you still have drive so the LMP2 went to the pits recovered well did his repair but the win was already out of contention right at the start so very unfortunate for them but it wasn't until a few hours later that we had our very well first major leader issue with the number six, number thirty six of the Alpine Le Mans hypercar having some issues and dropped them from the wind conditions. So they were sent to the garage. Eventually got them fixed, but they were never recovered the ground and finished a few laps behind some LP two cars as well. Uh, the other major, the more major cars in the wind contention of the win in their class was the number sixty three of the Corvette, which. They were in very good shape, but then a few punctures issues, which turned drivetrain issues, meant that they were sent to the garage and had a early night because they were spending too much time recovering the car. It was just not worth it. So they decided to just retire the car early and just call a date with their race, which means that they're only left with the number 64 in the condition of win. 
I will mention to the unfortunate that happened to them later, but just saying it's a foreshadow that none of the covets will finish. Um, another major car that went into, well, having incidents was the number 708 House hypercar, which had a spin. There wasn't many damage done, but there was still a spin and it was the first incident of the night. So I guess if you say night driving is easy, no, it isn't. And when you're doing racing conditions, it's even harder. Um, throughout the night, it was the number seven and number eight of Toyota who battle around throughout most of the night and just trying to beat out slow zones because of spins or whatever, and or just trying to beat each other on strategy. But it was still pretty close until early morning, where the number seven had hit a few electric problems and had to cycle through and restart the car and lost a lot of time. That meant the number eight just get to run away with about a one minute or two minute lead by the time the seven finally get his issue resolved. The number tiny 92 also gets tire blow up, which is the Porsche after a early lockup, well earlier lockup before the actual tire blow up, and it's pretty impressive to see them losing an entire front nose, which meant that they obviously had to come in, repair the nose, and then send out again. But they were also dropped in contention for the win. And then I'm coming to the number 64 Corvette because, as it is with most endurance racing, it is multi-class. So when the 64 became traffic of some LMP2 cars between the number 83 AF Corsa and number 41 Realty in WRT. Francois Perodo swerved a bit too much into the 64 and sent Alexander Sims into the wall. So that was the other Corvette race done, very unfortunately. And that is double DNF for the guys all across in America. So very unfortunate. But given how well the stewards will be able to recover the car and Granted, the Corvette stopped on the side of the road rather than in the middle of the track. It was only still be given a slow zone, and we stayed basically no safety car conditions for the majority of the race. The only safety that came out was due to the number 31 of WRT having a very heavy crash into the barriers, which meant that safety car was eventually brought out for 19, for the first time in 19 hours after the race had started, and the period didn't last for too long either, so that means we... Pretty much get a lot of racing throughout the race uh, and there wasn't many slow zones or anything to slow the people down but throughout 24 hours compared to some other previous editions that had maybe 10-ish safety car periods each lasting for about 34 minutes which means that we lose like adding them up leads to about five or six hours race loss so compared to that this is incredibly nice um in the end it was the number eight of toyota with sebastian buemi brendan hartley and rio hirakawa taking the victory in the hypercar class and the overall victory. Um, the LMP2 had the number 38 of Jota racing taking the victory with Roberto Gonzalez, Antonio Felix da Costa and Will Stevens. But in P2 was a impressive new entrant of the Prima with Robert Kubica and Luis Delatraz at a wheel. So great job from them. Uh, the Pro-Am class of the LMP2 subclass was taken by the number 43 five of Algarve Pro Racing with Stephen Thomas, James Allen and Rene Binder. No relation to the MotoGP Sprat Binder, but it is a Binder and a different nationality. So if you wonder, no, they are not related. The GTE Pro class was taken by the number 91 Porsche with Gianmaria Nabroni, Richard Leet and Frederick Makawaki. And the GT Am class was taken by the number 33 of TS Sport. Aston Martin with Ben Keating, Henrik Chives, and Marcus Sorensen at the wheel. Ben Keating previously took a program win in a Ford GTE when it was still legal, but due to a few extra checks after the race, that car was disqualified, so revenge has happened. 
Um, personal thoughts on race. This is the first time I've also ever stayed up for the entire duration of a 24-hour race. Any 24-hour race, in fact. Compared to most 24-hour races before this, it was relatively quiet. I watched a few here and there and slept for about five to six hours in between. But this is the first year I've stayed up and it was underwhelming to say the least. So at least I managed to unlock the achievement for this once in a year opportunity. It did get very hard towards the end of the race and I was very knackered for the next day or two. In fact, I barely had energy to focus on the other races on Sunday. But it was so worth it at least trying to stay up just because, you know, it's fun and... It really makes you appreciate how hard the engineers were working throughout the night. And if you consider that they will also have to stay away throughout the pre-race and post-race stuff, just try to stay up for once and you will appreciate them even more. So next one on the bucket list, actual Le Mans to see if it's still doable or will I be so fatigued that I still need to go to sleep anyway. So that is Le Mans, the most impressive strip of crown of all. Moving on to a the other races all across America. It is IndyCar at Rowan America. Um, Alexander Rossi takes his first pole position in three years. New Garden lines alongside him in P2. And notably, this is also one of the few races that the female focus Pareto Autosport enters with Simona de Silvestro at the wheel. The early part of the race had three cautions in eight laps out of the 55 they were scheduled to do because of how long road america is it's not like they get to see 70 laps 80 laps 90 laps or even over 100 laps for these road or street courses but being so like road america the actual race distance is only 55 laps and they had three cautions in the first eight due to jim johnson spinning alex below spinning and just a bit of a chaos and the, the rest of the race went relatively clean the strategy put Jose Newgarden and Alexander Rossi and Newgarden looked very certain to win the race until Pato Owa lost his engine very late race with about 3-4 laps to go. And that meant that caution was brought out and there was about 3 laps to go when it went green again. But Newgarden managed to hold on. It takes his third win of the season. Everson beats out Rossi for P2 at the end of the restart. So unfortunate for Rossi, he not only lost the chance to take back the lead, he also lost his P2. But Rossi, Grosjean, and Hertha still managed to make it Andretti 3, 4, 5. So it just shows that the front runners are still very strong all around. Um, New Goddess winner, Road America, also satisfies the people-ready force for good challenge, where the first driver to win an overall a road course and a street course race wins a million dollars for the season, which I believe has happened for... Hasn't happened in 2021, but has been a challenge that's been in place for the last, what, five or six years. And New Garden, by winning at Texas with a final lap pass and a dominant Long Beach display before this Road America win, means that he has satisfied it about half the season in. So that is congratulations to him for winning a million dollars. Um, Ericsson still retains the championship lead. Will Power is still behind him in P2. New Garden P3, Pato Owa P4, and Alex Pelot is P5 in the championship. It is a very entertaining race slightly better than f1 but indycar usually could do a lot better so if this is medium and still pretty entertaining that means we have been very spoiled at indycar fans so if you want to give it a watch go ahead but i'm not stopping if you don't want to watch it because it is for indycar it's average i guess um moving on all the way to the west coast though it is nascar at sonoma with only the truck series and the cup series excellent you have an off breaks this week and for the truck race, it was Kyle Busch who wins on his final truck entry for the season in the number 51. 
a the number 38 of Zane Smith finishes P3 and the number 66 of Ty Majeski P3. So if you're wondering how Kyle Busch, who is racing the Cup Series, was able to enter, they are allowed, but they can only enter a few races a season. And like if they win, they won't count towards the championship or whatever, but they are allowed to just enter some races for track time or just because it's a nice track to just race on, maybe. But for the Cup Series, it was Kyle Larson who takes his fifth Sonoma pole in a row being 2017, 2018, 2019, 2021, and now 2022. The 2020 race was excluded because the pandemic happened, so they raced on the Daytona road course instead, which Chase Elliott took a very cool win. Well, it's too bad that they're not going to be racing at Daytona anymore, but I just believe that road course was a really nice addition. But seeing how Kyle Larson, who, mind you, was in a Chip Ganassi race, racing race car, of all things, in 2017, 2018, and 2019, and still able to take pole, it's just, I guess, kudos to him. And stage one was also won by Kyle Larson, which had a pretty dominant display, but due to a few strategy mishaps towards the end of that stage, because NASCAR closes pit lane of any race up with two laps to go on any race stage, means that the if you want to pit early for maybe strategy after the caution comes out and everybody goes to the pit, pit cycle you can actually pit early here with two laps to go and knowing that a caution will come out and then come out ahead which means that after all these shuffle and about 20-ish cars dive to the pits cody were which who is a wee cult fan favorite finishes p10 and taking one stage point so kudos to him for actually being able to do that and just it's nice just to be able to appreciate that we're racing a relatively mid-tier team being able to just achieve these as the cool small things in life. Uh, stage 2 was won by Joe Logano who is already locked into the playoffs but given that they weren't in a very fast car for the weekend they just said okay let's take the 10 stage points and the one playoff point to just focus on the playoffs. So when you say just give you that so they decide okay we're going to screw our race over but let's just get the extra point because we're not going to be able to do well this this weekend anyway but the final half was a mostly a daniel suarez versus chris busher battle only interrupted by kyle larson's lose wheel during the final pit stop of the round which mean has become a common presence in the cup series since switching to single nut tires which we've seen a few lose wheels in the daytona 500 we've basically seen about a lose wheel every other week if not more often so Unfortunately for Larson, that means their crew chief, Cliff Daniels, is ejected for the next four races as per rules. Hendrick Motorsport has decided not to appeal from that penalty as different to the few extra teams that have tried to appeal and got accepted or denied. But Hendrick Motorsport has decided not to be on this occasion and a replacement will be announced in the coming days. But in the end, it was the number 99 of Daniel Suarez in trackhouse racing, the Mexican taking his first ever career win at Sonoma, becomes the fifth ever foreign to win a Cup Series race after Mario Drenti from Italy, Earl Ross from Canada, Juan Pablo Montoya from Colombia, and Marcos Ambrose in Australia. And the small, well, relatively new startup Trackhouse Racing sends both cards into the playoff after Ross Chastain won at the Circuit of the Americas earlier this season, which means that Trackhouse also wants, wins the first two road course of the season. So congrats to them, and great to see the team rising up in the ranks. So... Come to first race celebration, Daniel punched a taco piñata for celebration, which and combined that with Rush Chastain's famous traditional watermelon smashing after the race victories. I guess no food is safe at the team either. A very poor race weekend for Joe Gibbs as they ended 26, 27, 38, and 31st, 
So it's very unfortunate to see such a team, well, such a commanding team just finishing all the way nowhere. But the race was still mostly clean with the only two cautions that came out outside of stage breaks being the Carl Lawson leaks we mentioned earlier and a Bubba Wallace engine blowout early, which I guess it doesn't happen often in road courses, but it happened and there was a lot of smoke and Bubba Wallace was the only DNF after, well, that. The entire race was somewhat decent, not in an exciting way, but Daniel Suarez winning his first ever career race, which is a good moment for everyone because of how nice he usually is. So that is you, all my news for NASCAR, and I'll move on to the two other minor races being the British Touring Car Championship at Alton Park, where Tom Ingram takes pole, race one and race to victory, and Stephen Jelly wins race three. There was a major cross on lap one of the final race, the driver's mostly okay, but there is a chance of Dan Lloyd being forced out of the season after suffering some injuries. The World Touring Car Cup at Hungary, meanwhile, see Mikel Ascona takes the race one pole and race one wing. Santiago Urita wins race two and turns out, turns out that the race on the North Shaft I was talking to you guys about being the support race didn't really happen over some good year tire failure concerns during practice and qualifying similar to the mission incidents at Indy 2005 Formula 1 if you know what up to that but basically there was so much issue with the tires that they decided to not let the race go ahead in F1's case the race did go ahead with the Bridgestone races but it's just a lot of teams and well in this case the actual organizer says that okay we're not doing it it's for the safety of drivers so let's just rather not um, that will be all the racing I have for you last week. And coming up, not just for the end of this week, is the end all the way throughout summer. I will be recapping them one by one just because I won't be informing you guys anymore, anymore, well, anymore for the rest of the school year, even though there's like one extra week to go for university anyway. But Formula 1 will be racing at Montreal this weekend, Silverstone, Red Bull Ring with a sprint, Paul Ricard, Hungara Ring before getting to summer break. And after that, it will be Spa, Zambor, Monza and Singapore, so nine rounds over summer, even with a summer break, which lasts for an entire month, should serve as a good base for all race fans to enjoy. And some interesting points that you guys can look forward to will whether Ferrari will be able to fix their issues and bounce back, will Mercedes find the rhythm and be able to challenge Red Bull and Ferrari towards the end of the season, or will Red Bull just hold on to the lead and take the first constructors title since 2013 after Mercedes winning all the constructors titles from then onwards? Um, for most GP, it is Germany this weekend, Netherlands after that, and then their summer break in July, before going to Great Britain, Austria, San Marino, Aragon, Japan, and Thailand, which is eight rounds in three months with the summer break. So those who prefer two-way actions should still be able to enjoy quite a lot. There's also a bit of a silly season being in effect with all the teams, or there was a rumor that Suzuki might be leaving the series, and there's might be a bit more shuffle going on by now, so... Should be interesting to also watch the off-track news and just keep an eye on whoever you're interested to see if they get a good seat or just change scenes for the better. Uh, IndyCar will be the earliest of these race series to conclude, being already ending at mid-September with Mid-Ohio, Toronto, Iowa, another Indy Records race, Nashville, Gateway, Portland, and the season ending in Laguna Seca in the middle of the September. So that's championship completed before the next university starts, and given how good action has been, expected to be even more intense as we go on. Um, throughout the entire summer break, it's the only that well, the only series that wouldn't have suffered from any of these issues is NASCAR, which will be racing every week as NBC takes over broadcasting. And the only week that wouldn't feature Cup Series action is this weekend, where the trucks will be racing at Knoxville on dirt. So. 
It's similar to how the Bristol Lit races work. They will be racing heat races or qualifying before racing a slightly longer race for the feature and whoever wins that wins the dirt race well that is the case for truck club series gets one a season and truck series will get the bristol dirt and this knoxville it used to be eldora but after a few mishaps with the tr truck organizers and the racing organizers they have to like move to knoxville instead uh the regular season ends at the end of august with the, the daytona, daytona coke zero 400 it's a super secret race and if anybody wants to win their way into the playoffs that is their final chance uh, the highly anticipated Kim Raikkonen racing at Watkins Glen will happen on August 21st in the track house number 91. So if you want to know who to support for, well, who to look out for, number 91 is the one that you will be want to keep an eye on. It's the only entry for this season for Kim Raikkonen and the 91. But if you want to see Kim racing again, that's your chance. The current championship overview for the Cup Series, however, after Daniel Suarez also winning stands now rush testing is actually the leading champ well champion leader not in points but basically with his two wins and 13 playoff points he's actually pretty ahead in player picture william byron joey logano and danny hamlin are the other two win drivers which means that they're basically mostly safe in this current format chase Elliott, kyle larson daniel suarez kurt bush kyle bush alex bowman chase briscoe and austin Sindrick all have a win each to their name which means that they're going to be mostly safe at the moment but given that there's still 10 more race weeks and four more non-win spots if there's more than five five new race winners one of them will have to pack up even with a win but at the moment it is ryan blaney martin shrix jr christopher bell and eric armorello taking those four point places with kevin harvick seven points behind eric armorello being the first one on the outside looking in um other prototype and endurance racing, however, sees the IMSA six hours of Glen with a few extra prototype racing in between, and the WEC will be racing at Monza and Fuji. IMSA will see a farewell tour for the Daytona Prototype International as LMDH, otherwise known as GTP for IMSA, will be entering in 2023. Peugeot will be making their Le Mans Hypercar debut at Monza in early July, and the Endurance Championship will finally return to Fuji after a pandemic halt means that they didn't race there at 2020, didn't race there at 2021 either. But eventually we will get to see these, well, at least they will be racing on their home ground for the first time in a very long while. And formally, we'll see Marrakesh returning in a few weeks time as round 10, replacing Vancouver as the organizers have to cancel the race and aims to make a 2023 return instead. Um, New York and London doubleheaders will be after that. Fan favorite tracks hand high tension to, so it should provide even more action this time around. Uh, the championship will be concluding in early August as a well at the sole doubleheader, which should have happened a few years ago, but once again pandemic issues. So that'll be mostly it for Formula E. This season has been a lot more easy to develop storylines, and the race has been a lot more consistent rather than just six seasons. But if you're a well, if you're interested in Formula E, those are yours things to look out for but that will be mostly it the assist series extreme e will be racing at sardinia in early july it's a double header so they're going to be racing back to back into race weekends so it's going to be if you're somewhat both into electric racing and rally that is your series to watch um one last series i want to mention before the end of this episode is the superstar racing experience which is a short six car, six race series featuring literal superstar in the motorsport world, such as Greg Biffle, Michael Waltrip, Helio Castroneves once made it, Chase Elliott, well, himself and his father, Bill Elliott, also 
race there, just name a few. So it is very, very star-spangled in terms of the people that used to race there. And it's just going to be a short race season where you get to see short track racing mostly and very intense action. And most importantly, just an all-around fun series to watch because of all these people are superstars and they just want to have fun. So it's like the F1 charity cut race that occasionally happens, except the race for real this time and also for a championship. But that will be all I have for you this week. It's been a pleasure doing this podcast for over 20 episodes throughout last year, covering all the racing news that has happened in between on and off the track. I'm so grateful to be given this opportunity to be able to run a podcast of my own and make it all the way to the end of summer through the highs and lows, through the challenges in life as well, from the passing of Sir Frank Williams at the early incarnation of the podcast series to the new regulations in F1 and NASCAR in early January, February. Then to my good friend and former co-host Morgan's departure from the series before trying to get episodes out on regular basics through exam season. But still we rise and I still manage to do what I always have been passionate for week in, week out. So if you're still listening here, here's a thank you from the bottom of my heart for supporting a uni fresher all the way to the end of this year since the series early incarnation from early November. I hope that everyone gets a great summer break and if you feel so inclined, maybe try to enjoy the race that is to come wherever you may be. This is Motorsport Backpage, signing off. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.